Amen. There's only one rock, and his name is Jesus. And we are hidden in him. And it is the only place of safety. And my prayer is that all of us would leave this place with our hearts hidden in Christ by the power of God, safe and secure forever. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, I thank you that Jesus is a hiding place for us, a place of refuge and safety in troubled times. Thank you that he protects us from the storm of God's wrath over our sin. Thank you, Father, that in the shifting tides and winds of culture, that Christ is steady and sure. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would find rest in Jesus today. And God, we know we're not the only church in town. We're not the only ministry that exists for the glory of Jesus and the gospel among the nations. So Lord, I thank you for our partners in this community who are sharing the gospel of Jesus right now as they gather in your name. And Lord, specifically, I want to pray for the Seafarers Ministry at Port Canaveral. Thank you for this unique ministry in our community. Thank you for Mark and Jeannie Watka and the team of people who are part of our church who lead that ministry. God, we are blessed by them. And I pray that you would enable them by your power to share the gospel with the nations as the nations come to us in that very unique setting. So Lord, bless the seafarers, bless the seafarers ministry to be filled with power and grace for your glory. As we open your word today, I pray you would be our teacher and our hearts would listen and obey and believe the voice of our Lord. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You all may be seated. January 22nd, 1973, a landmark decision was handed down by the United States Supreme Court. In Roe versus Wade, the highest court in our land decided that the U.S. Constitution guarantees an individual's right to privacy. And on that ground, the court determined that a pregnant woman in privacy had the right to obtain an abortion. And that decision, you know, sparked a movement among those who believed that human life begins at conception. So for five decades, people in the pro-life movement have dedicated themselves to protecting the lives of the unborn. They've prayed They've opened crisis pregnancy centers. They've served expectant mothers. They've opened their very homes to adoption and foster care. They voted for pro-life legislation and most often chose candidates on almost the single litmus test of where they stood concerning abortion and Roe versus Wade. It's been 50 long, divisive, and deadly years in the history of our nation. Friday morning, another landmark decision was handed down by the United States Supreme Court. This court determined that the constitution of our nation does not guarantee an individual's right to abortion. On on that ground, Roe versus Wade has now been overturned and is no longer the law of our land. And church... As your pastor, I want you to know that I believe with all my heart that today is a day of sober, sober, humble celebration. We should celebrate, and we are, I know, we just did. 
We should take a moment, and in humility, we should reflect over the countless men and women, many in this room, who've labored so hard for this day. We should give thanks. Thanks for the Lord that in his mercy and providence, in this decision, he chose to move the hearts of six Supreme Court justices. It is a day of humble thanksgiving, but I want you to know this is also a sober day. Uh, that you know that although the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, it did not make abortion illegal. Friday's decision may have been the end of Roe versus Wade, but it was just the beginning of a new chapter in our nation's debate and decision about abortion. We're walking into a new season where every state in this nation will have to decide by vote where their legal line will be drawn on abortion. And you know what that means? It means we are on the threshold of even greater divide and cultural chaos. As abortion will be a forefront issue in a heated, debated, difficult way, it will be magnified more vividly than ever just how divided our communities and our culture are over abortion. And I want you to know, and we should be aware, that the divide is not limited to the debate between pro-life and pro-abortion groups. You may have already seen that infighting has already started among various pro-life organizations over where the legislative lines should be drawn now that we're going to have to draw them, and we're going to draw them uniquely in 50 different states. Questions like, should provisions be made, and what should they be? How should they be worded that protect the life of an expectant mother? Questions like, should women who have had abortions be tried for murder? Is it okay for us to vote for incremental changes like heartbeat bills in very abortion-positive climates like California and New York? What should believers vote for in those states? Or is that incremental approach an implicit support for abortion in the weeks that lead up to detecting a heartbeat? Question after question, and we need to be aware, church, divide after divide. In some ways, I've got to tell you, it seems as if the pro-life movement has spent the last 50 years working to overturn Roe versus Wade with very little forethought about what we would do if it actually happened. And I feel a deep sense of sobriety now. Even as I celebrated on Friday, Pastor Kerry and I met Friday in the middle of vacation Bible school, and it was not lost on me that in this building there were hundreds of children learning about Jesus as we contemplated a decision that had affected 62 million unborn children since 1973. And I prayed, Pastor Carey prayed, and asked God, what would you call us to do as we gather on this first Sunday after the Supreme Court's decision? And in my heart, I cannot help but tell you, I certainly believe we are on the threshold of an increased chaos in an already chaotic culture both in and outside of the church of Jesus Christ. So the question before us this morning is, what should the church of Jesus Christ do on a day like today? How do we poise ourselves 
moving forward into so much that feels unknown. Well, I want you to know, thankfully, this isn't the first time the people of God have walked through a culture in chaos. As a matter of fact, the church of Jesus Christ was born into a culture of chaos. So as I was praying about what to say to you this morning as your pastor, I felt the Lord laying a passage of scripture on my heart. And the reason it came to my heart is because it was what the Lord, I believe, called me to preach the last time the high court handed down a landmark decision on same-sex marriage seven years ago, a decision that in many hearts and minds in this church family, we were deeply grieved to hear, not celebrating as we did on Friday. And the reason this text is so informative is because whether or not leaders or governments or any other individuals are blowing a wind that feels like it's lifting your sails or is heading in your face, the truth of God's word stands sure for all seasons, for all times. And so with that, would you turn to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. And as you turn to Acts 4, I just want to give you a quick summary of what's happening at this place in the Bible. As you know, Jesus Christ was crucified in the city of Jerusalem. Just think of what happened there. There were crowds of people who took to the streets and they demanded that their leaders crucify him. A culture of death had taken hold of a nation and they demanded the right to kill an innocent life. But there was more than that going on. In the death of Jesus, God was working out his plan. In the midst of an angry mob, the father was at work. He had sent his son to this world to die as a sacrifice for our sin. So at the cross of Jesus, God the father placed the sin of the world on his son. And he punished Jesus in our place. That's how we can be forgiven of every sin. And restored to God as our Father, as you trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his glorious work in your place, the death of Jesus in your place enables your sin to be forgiven as you place your faith and trust in him. And many of you know the rest of the story. Although Jesus died, he did not stay dead, right church? He rose again from the dead. You know why? Because Jesus is stronger than death. He's stronger than a culture of death. He's stronger than rulers and mobs and courts. He's stronger than sin and he's stronger than death and hell and the grave. Jesus is simply stronger and so Jesus rose again from the dead. And as he rose from the dead, he went to his followers and he spent a few weeks with them before he transitioned to heaven with the Father. And as he was walking through those days with his followers, he gave them final instructions and he made them this promise that once he returned to heaven with his father, he would send the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what he did. As Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit was sent to this earth to live in all of God's people with the exact same power that had just raised Jesus from the dead. So right there in Jerusalem, in the very city where Jesus had been crucified just days ago, thousands of people began to see the resurrection power of Christ through the changed lives of his followers. And thousands upon thousands began to turn to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And so what you find as the crowds begin to turn to Jesus is that the city of Jerusalem grows more and more divided. You have those who are turning to Jesus through faith and those who crucified Jesus 
with the hardness of their heart. And so this divide begins to expand further and further. The rulers and authorities begin to come against the church of Jesus Christ, threatening violence and death to those who would trust in Jesus. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning in Acts chapter 4. Christians living in a divided, chaotic culture. Sound familiar? A culture of death opposed the work of Jesus and was coming up against a culture of life that glorified Jesus. Sound familiar? So what did the church do? What did spirit-filled followers of Christ do? How did they poise themselves to step into the unknown? Well, that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse 23 through verse 31. And when they were released from having been imprisoned and threatened with death by the leaders who'd killed Jesus, when they, Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of God for us. This morning, I pray our hearts would hear and believe the word of the Lord. Church, when the spirit-filled people of God faced a divided and chaotic culture, when they were threatened with the possibility of violence and even death, when they were stepping out into the unknown of their future, do you know what they did? They prayed. They went before the Lord in humble, passionate prayer, and they asked God to do what only God can do. And when they did that, the place in which they gathered was shaken by the power of God. And even more, the place where they lived was turned upside down for the power and glory of God Almighty. And that brings then the instruction for us today. How do we step into a post-row world? How do we face the chaos that is certain to come? We do what Jesus has always called his people to do. And that's our big idea. Spirit-filled people face the chaos of culture by seeking the face of God in prayer. Spirit-filled people face the chaos of culture by seeking the face of God of God in prayer. As we enter into a post-Roe America church, it would be a grave mistake for us to turn and fix our attention on anything but the face of Almighty God himself. You need to know we do not look to politicians to lead us. 
We don't look to culture to guide us. We don't look to strategists to inform us. We don't look to law enforcement to protect us. We don't look to denominations or the pro-life movement to empower us. We turn our faces to the face of Almighty God. And all of those things have a good God-honoring place. And no doubt all of those things will have a part in our future. But none of those things are anything compared to our great God. So today, I pray, we would renew our commitment to prayer. Church, we need God. We need his spirit. We need his power. We need his hand of blessing. We need his heart of love. We need God. This church needs God. America needs God. Your pastors, your family, your neighbors need God. You need God. And so we pray. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pray before we leave this place. We're going to gather and pray and seek the face of God. And my hope is that we will leave this place with an ever-deepening commitment and passion for fervent prayer as we walk forward as the people of God. And what I want us to do is look quickly through this text to see not only that the people of God prayed, but I want us to see how the people of God prayed. The first thing you see is this. Spirit-filled people pray in light of who God is. That's the clearest thing you see at the very beginning of this. First, God is sovereign, and so they pray as though God is a sovereign God. Look at verse 24. They say, sovereign Lord. God is the sovereign Lord. You know what that means? That means he is in control. He has the power and authority to do anything and everything that pleases him. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Friend, you need to hear this and pray like this. God is in control. And you might ask of what? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked. Of kings and presidents and governors and Supreme Court justices And every citizen of this United States and every person sitting in this room, God is in control. So for 50 years, the people of God prayed that he would overturn Roe versus Wade because he is the God who's in control. As a church, I hope that it's not lost on you that every year we have set aside one week a year for the sanctity of human life and we have prayed over and over and over again for our sovereign God to work in the hearts of our leaders and he has heard and answered our prayers and he's a sovereign God who's brought it about he rules among the affairs of men and church we still need our sovereign God we need God to work today In more and more hearts than simply the nine people who sit on the Supreme Court, we need him to work in every man, woman, and child, including us. We need our sovereign God to work in a way that displays his power over our sin and brings about revival in our world. We need him to turn the hearts of our leaders and our neighbors and ourselves to him. We need him to cleanse our hearts to be a reflection of his, we need our sovereign God to exercise his power to do what only he can do to bring about a revival in our day to the glory of Jesus and the good of people. And God is able. He's sovereign. He can do it. It is no thing for him. 
God is sovereign. And so they prayed like he was sovereign. God is also the creator. That's how they continue in verse 24. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He says God is the creator of everything. So as he says, or the people of God pray, Lord, we need you to be God. We need you to be sovereign. We need you to exercise and express your power and your control. They recognize that he has the domain, in a sense. Everything in this universe belongs to him. Every unborn child is the unique creation of God. He's their creator. He's the author of life. So every life belongs to him and exists for his glory. He is the one who makes and sustains all new things. And as we pray, church, in that light, we need a creative work of Almighty God to do a work of new grace in us, to create in us something. Church, we need God to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit in us. God forbid... That we would respond to the decision on Roe versus Wade the way that every other political movement is responding in kind. Vilifying, dividing, arrogantly posturing themselves on one side or another. We need him to create in us a clean and pure heart. We need him to give us a passion for his glory more than a passion for politics. We need him to build in us his heart of love for our fellow man, no matter who they may be, no matter what they may have done. We need the creative work of God to do a new work of grace in us as we move forward into what is ahead. So we pray to a creator God who is sovereign over all things. Not only is he sovereign and creator, God is the architect of a glorious plan. I want you to see how that's vividly displayed here. Verse 25 says this, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. So that's a prophecy from David written years before Jesus came. So a thousand years before Jesus comes, God uses David to give this word of prophecy about what would take place. And then you see that prophecy fulfilled. Verse 27, for truly, just as you said, in this city, there were gathered together against your anointed holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you see what they're saying? The early church recognized that God had a plan from before the foundation of the world. And his plan was to bring his son Jesus into this world to save us from our sin and restore us to himself. And that plan was so firmly woven into the history of this world that a thousand years before it took place, God would use his servant David to prophesy in great detail exactly what would happen. And it would happen exactly exactly 
as God planned. People would plot. People would plan. People would gather against the Lord and his work. But ultimately, the purpose of God would stand sure. Even in the moment of greatest chaos in the history of this world, as the creator was killed by his creation, in it All God was working out his plan. Herod and Pontius Pilate and the crowds of people, the mobs and rulers and riots were doing only what God had planned to take place. And guys, it may have looked at the moment of crucifixion like chaos was in control. But chaos wasn't reigning at Calvary, was it? God was still on the throne. God was working out his plan. And the plan of God, you need to know, didn't end at the death of Jesus. God's plan includes the return of Christ to this earth. Jesus is coming again and he will bring justice to this world. He will bring order to this chaos. He will bring rescue for his people. Jesus is in control. And so we pray with confidence, not only because God is sovereign with a plan, the creator who can start new works of grace in his creation. We also pray with confidence because that plan includes every day till Jesus comes again, including post-row America. No matter how chaotic the times may become, no matter how dark or divided, the thing we can know for sure is that God has a plan and Jesus is still on the throne. They prayed not only in light of the creator God who's sovereign with an architect as a glorious plan, they also pray according to their deepest needs. So they pray in light of who God is, but they pray in light of their deepest needs. Guys, at a simple form, the word pray means to ask. And so when we pray, we are inherently asking God to do what only God can do, to show up in the deepest places of need in our hearts. And I want you to see what this church identifies as their place of deepest need. The first thing they say in verse 29 is, God, look upon their threats. Lord, look upon their threats. They are unaware that there is a threat against their life, against their well-being, against their way of life. They know this. They know that the people who killed Jesus are threatening to kill them. So they call upon God to look upon their threats. I got to tell you, I feel like that's an interesting way to pray when there are people who are threatening to kill you. If it were me, my prayer would look like this. God neutralized their threat. God raised up an army to fight against their threat. But they don't do that, do they? They simply ask God, look upon their threats. For those of you who have kids, you've probably used that kind of language quite a few times before. So in my household, it is not at all uncommon to hear all kinds of strange noises coming from the various rooms where my kids might be playing. Sometimes those noises are the voices of a couple of my kids in the room together. And there are times where those voices are loud, but you can't quite make out whether they're arguing or playing. It's hard to tell. Sometimes they play like they're arguing. So you don't know. Sometimes though, and this isn't often, their voices are soft and quiet. And you can't quite tell whether or not they're just talking quietly or they're planning a strategic takeover of our household. You just don't know. 
So what Emily and I have done countless times throughout the years is said something like this to each other. Hey, would you go look into that? Those kids are whispering, and I'd like to have some eyes in the room. Would you go look into that? You know, in that moment, we don't tell each other exactly what to do because we don't know exactly what's going on. We trust each other. We, we believe that if one of us goes into that room... One of us will do whatever's best based on what's actually taking place. And that's what God's people are doing here. That's how they're using that phrase, look at their threats. They're saying, God, would you go and look into these threats and do whatever's best? Guys, that is a powerful clarifying word for us as we walk forward. We need that kind of heart in this season of our lives Because you will be bombarded with every message in the world about what's going on. You'll hear it from Twitter and Facebook. You'll hear it on the news feed. You'll hear it at work. You'll hear it from your family. Rumors will swirl. Opinions will gather. You will hear over and over and over again what is going on. Because conversations are happening already all over this country. And many of those conversations center around... How people who are in favor of abortion are going to oppose those who are pro-life. The battle lines are being drawn. And there are some of those conversations that you are well aware of that are producing threats against evangelical Christians and pregnancy centers like ours. And I want you to know, I believe it's a good thing for us to pray for safety. I do. But I also believe it's a better thing to pray for God's providential care. That he, as our good Lord who knows what is best, would look into every threat and simply do what is best for the glory of his name and the good of his people. And our call is to trust him, not to task him. Lord, look. And if the day comes where it means persecution, if the day comes where it means hardship, if the day comes when an overwhelming wave of opposition comes against the church of Jesus Christ, in that day will we trust that our God knows and does what is best. The church of Jesus says, look at at these threats. And God, do what is best. We trust you. The next thing that they pray is that not only would he look at their threats, but that he would keep us on gospel mission. In verse 29, he says, Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Here's what had been happening. The church had been living on a bold mission to make Jesus known to every man, woman, and child in this city. And thousands were coming to faith in Jesus And one of the greatest concerns of the people of God was beyond their safety. It was for the mission of Jesus. They were fearful. They were concerned that the chaos of culture would distract them from the mission of Jesus Christ. And so they prayed, God, no matter what happens around us, no matter what might break out in this city, would you allow us, grant us to continue on a bold mission to clearly share the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. And church, this is a major need we have today. As the conversation intensifies around us, 
And questions begin to swirl about how we should vote or what kind of political or legislative steps we should take. I want you to know it is entirely possible that we could become distracted from the true mission of Jesus Christ. As appropriate as it is, making new laws is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to make new disciples of Jesus Christ, to share the love and gospel of Christ with every man, woman, and child. And I want to press in on that in a very specific way. There are going to be countless opportunities for you to speak to other people today and in the days ahead about this particular issue. You're going to go to work, you're going to go back to school, you'll be in your neighborhood, you will be on social media, and the question before you is, what are you going to choose to talk about? What will your message be? How are you, you, going to use your particular platform, whatever it is, big or small, how will you use it to speak to others? You could incite arguments. You could callously and arrogantly make every claim or twist every conversation about politics or opposing views, or you could do something else. You could humbly point people to Jesus. Would you pray for boldness and clarity as you speak in the days ahead? That your heart and your mouth would be filled with the gospel love of Jesus Christ. That you would do more than just speak to your friends and neighbors and coworkers about politics and legislation or the Supreme Court's decision. Would you ask the Lord to renew your commitment to not allow you to be distracted from the mission of Christ, even as you may engage in appropriate and healthy conversations about this specific issue, that you would make your message the message of Jesus above all other messages. Lord, keep us on gospel mission that takes the love of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child. Amen? Amen. The last thing we see they prayed for is for healing to the hurting. God, bring healing to the hurting. Look at verse 30. While you, God, as you do these things at the same time, Lord, you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through, your, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. One of the things that God was doing right now in the city of Jerusalem is he was healing those people who were broken and hurting. That's actually what led Peter and John to be arrested. They encountered a paralyzed man. He needed their help and their healing, and they didn't have it to give. So they said, we will give you what the Lord has given us. In the name of the Lord, be healed. And God miraculously healed that man through them. And what was happening is that God was authenticating the truth of the gospel by healing broken, hurting people. And he allowed that healing power, that miraculous power to flow through the lives of his followers. And church, listen to me, our world is filled with hurting, broken people who need the miraculous touch of God. There are many victims, many people, countless who have been affected by the scourge of abortion. There are expectant teenage mothers who are scared to death about bringing a child into this world. 
And they have no hope, they have no help apart from Jesus. They need God's healing power in their lives. Would you pray that God would heal them and that he would allow his healing power to flow through you to them? There are children who are going to be born to parents who would have preferred for them to have never been born. Would you pray for healing in their lives? And would you pray that the healing power of God would flow through you to those unwanted children? There are women who've had abortions and men who've been pressuring women to have abortions at some point in their life who are going to be reliving the deepest, most painful, sinful experience in their life all over again. Would you pray for healing in their hearts and that God's healing power would flow through you? Church, would you pray for God's miracle working power to be displayed through the love of his people? Pray that we would be an army bold whose battle cry is love, love to the nations, love to the hurting, love to the helpless, love to the hopeless. Would you pray that God would allow a miraculous explosion of love that would stir his people into adopting an unwanted child? Would you pray for a wave of new pregnancy centers to emerge in this community and in our nation that would walk step by step with expectant mothers? Would you pray for God to use you to show other people through the way you serve, the way you care, the way you love, that he is a God of hope and grace and power. Would you pray for the healing of our nation, the healing of the hurting? Would you pray for a demonstration of God's grace through his people, that in the midst of a chaotic culture, it would be undeniable that we in this room are pro-life for every life not just anti-abortion. The chaos of our culture, guys, it's an amazing opportunity for the world to see the love and hope and grace of Jesus through his people, through you and me. So will you pray to our sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the architect of amazing plans, The one who has you in his hand and is able to look at all your threats. Those that come against you, those you'll walk through. The one who is able to sustain you by his grace, help you by his power and work in you for gospel mission to the helpless and hurting of our world. Would you pray? Because spirit-filled people face the chaos of culture by seeking the face of God in prayer. Here's how I want us to close this time of teaching. I want us to pray. And so I'm going to ask you, I know many of you came as groups of people, families, husbands, wives, maybe friend groups. I'm going to ask you just to huddle together and maybe three or fours, and, and would you pray? And here's a summary of what we've just walked through in this text. Praying with confidence out of Scripture. Would you pray And pray for thanksgiving that God is in control as our sovereign God. Pray that you would be confident that he's in control. No matter how chaotic our culture gets, praise him for his plan to rescue and redeem. Look on the threats of those that are all around us and keep us aligned with his mission to make disciples. Would you specifically pray that God would guard your words in the conversations that are sure to ensue and that 
he would give you boldness in those conversations to point people to our only hope, who's Jesus. And would you pray specifically in ways the Spirit might lead that God would heal the hurting and helpless of our community. Church, let's, let's get before the Lord as his people. So break up into those groups of two or three. We'll spend a few mo- moments in prayer, and then I'll come back, and I'll close that time leading in prayer.
Father, hear the prayers of your people. Father, I praise you for being a sovereign God. Thank you for how you kindly and mercifully and providentially moved in the hearts of the Supreme Court of our nation to answer a prayer that has long been prayed that Roe versus Wade would be overturned. So we thank you, God, for the display of your sovereign power. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us confidence that as we walk forward, we walk forward under the care of that same sovereign hand. Lord, give us confidence in you. Lord, give us, I pray, a spirit of humility that we would acknowledge you as our creator. You have made us. We belong to you. You have the right to tell us how to live. You have the power to stir up something new in us. And so we pray for a new wave of grace among your people to be poured out on this land. God, we ask for revival, a new great awakening in our lifetime that would call every man, woman, child to Jesus, Lord. And we ask, Father, as you do a work that's according to your plan, that we would trust you, that we would trust you to do what's best, even if it's not what we might choose. So look upon the threats. God, we know we have an enemy who seeks to steal and kill and destroy, who is scheming now to steal the souls of men. And God, we pray you would look upon the threats. Do what is best as we humble our hearts before you. Father, I ask for boldness that you would keep us on mission to make the gospel of Jesus known. And Lord, guard our hearts from aligning with any other agenda but yours. So Lord, let us be guarded in our hearts and our words as we go from this place on a mission to make Jesus known. And Lord, I pray that you would heal the hurting. Lord, we know that there is a wake of hurting people who have been lied to, who have been abused, who've been manipulated in the name of a pro-choice movement. We know there is a wake of people who are broken and hurting right now, living in a dark and divided world. And Lord, we pray you would heal the hurting and let us be your hands and feet to care for them. Lord, help us to prove that the people of God are pro-life and not just anti-abortion. God, help us to open our lives to expectant mothers. Help us to open our homes to unwanted children. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet who show and display your grace to those who are hurting. God, do miraculous work in healing people in the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we be people who move from this place in an ever-deepening spirit of prayer that we would seek your face as we face.